From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hey, y'all. It's Elizabeth. I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm here with my dear friend, Jeanette Clark. Hey, Jeanette. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, everybody. So I have invited Jeanette back to allow us to further this discussion on what marriage is. We began this discussion in the episode with Liv Harrison about the marriage vows, right? What you guys would be vowing if you choose to get married at the end of this discernment. But today we are going to take a different bent and we are going to talk about another beautiful layer of God's design for marriage that the church is safeguarding. So if you have not been introduced to Jeanette yet, she gave a beautiful talk on humility in a previous episode. So go listen if you haven't listened to that one. Humility is such a necessary part of marriage, let me tell you. But she, by way of introduction for her, if you're not familiar with her, She studied at the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family. So she has a lot of rich, beautiful knowledge on not only theology of the body, but theology in general from her master's degree. And she also is married to the executive director of the Theology of the Body Institute, Jason. So TOB is very much an apostolate of their marriage. They spend a lot of time uh, pouring into the world uh, this beautiful teaching of TOB. And they have five babies. So they're also living it on the kind of ground floor of what it means to be human and to be man and woman and to live in God's design. So we are going to dive into uh, a further discussion on marriage with Jeanette. All right. So I love um, the Bible. I love the Bible so much. It makes me so yeah. happy. Um, I am a convert from Protestantism. My dad um, was Protestant and I he really instilled a deep love for scripture in me early on. And that's one of the things I brought with me um, into Catholicism. And I think there are a lot of Catholics who love the Bible, but there are a lot who also don't have exposure to the Bible, you know, from... Um, maybe, you know, misguided reasons or whatever. They just were never taught Mm -hmm. it. It was left out of their early catechesis. So um, I want to go to the Bible, right? And see what God has to say. um, And then see how the church has fleshed out this beautiful teaching. So I want to start with Ephesians 5. um, And it did not occur to me that I should probably have it here to read to y'all. Do you have it pulled up? I I do. I have it right in front of me. girl. See, you're so great. Okay. Can we go ahead and start by reading it in case people don't know what we're talking about? And then um, just kind of dive into what Paul means when he's talking about Christ and the church in this. Okay. So 521, correct? So we're going to go from 521 to the end of chapter five. Perfect. Uh, And I'm going to read this to you all, but um, yeah, I'm going to have fun unpacking it a little bit because this is um, this is only part of chapter five. There are six chapters in Ephesians. So it's not a long book of the Bible. And all the prior stuff in chapter five and before uh, leads up to what we're going to read right now. So sometimes starting right ha- now is jarring for people, but it's okay. We're going to have time. <laughs> so um, this is, is chap- chapter five, um, 21, and this is it. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, his father, sorry, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Not Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Mm. And I think if I can just take a guess, some people who hear this recoil. And... Um, if, and I have to say I was one of those people for decades, because it was never, ever explained to me. And even I think there are some priests who shy away from um, teaching this or they're given when they're reading this, uh, they shorten it, you know, so it kind of skips mm. over the harder parts, the, the things <laughs> that seem like the harder parts. And um, like most things, I got to tell you, I, I mean, this is, this is a rule you can take it to the bank. But Satan is attacking this, this union of man and woman. And so this exact reading is the heart of the matter of what it means to be married. And because he knows that, he's attacking it in every way possible so that we recoil from it. And when you're de dealing with spiritual things, sometimes when you're recoiling, you got to think, uh-oh, why am I doing this? Why is this happening? And go through some discernment. In this case, we need to press in, not go away from this because it's difficult to hear, but press in. What is the Lord saying through this passage? And what he's saying is beautiful and awe-inspiring and really I mean, I had this as the reading at my wedding. Mm. Uh, so I, we. I don't know what my Protestant family thought of it. They probably <laughs> thought poor Jeanette. But <laughs> it really, to me, is so beautiful when rightly understood. If you don't understand it, um, then your recoiling is actually good. Because what you're saying is, I refuse to be treated like an object. I refuse to be controlled and manipulated. And you should refuse that. That is good. But if we dig deeper and deeper, we get to the heart of the matter. So uh, do you want me to keep going or do you want to yes, have a question? Please. No, me? keep going. I love it. Okay. Well, this is, this is, it links up with something very beautifully. Man cannot find, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. <laughs> Man cannot fi fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. 
that's from a, um, a document from the Second Vatican Council called God in its best. Uh, and really that is the heart of the matter in understanding this, in this understanding of Ephesians 5, is this concept of self-gift. Um, how are we going to make our gift of ourselves? And that's what you're doing right now. All of you people out there listening to this podcast, you're discerning how are you going to make yourself gift? Is it going to be through the religious life, through marriage? Is it going to be with this person? Or maybe you don't have a person in your life yet. There's someone coming or, you know, you're just laying your heart open and you're laying your heart bare. Um, but when we, when we scratch the surface of this, what we see is the know of the garden, the know of mm -hmm. Adam and Eve being undone with the yes of Christ and Mary in this reading. But it says, this is a great mystery. What is a great mystery? The marriage of a man and woman is a great mystery. It's, it's a sacrament that points to a divine reality. That's what a sacrament is. Mm. It's, a, it's something that's happening on earth that's pointing to something that's happening in heaven that is an eternal reality. And that eternal reality is Christ and his church are wed. They are one. And the, they are wed because Christ came from heaven, claimed his bride, and married her on the cross by giving his life to her um, in the shedding of his blood in his death and pulling her up from the grave of the no of um, Adam and Eve to the yes of Mary. And it is it's really that the linchpin of the redemption of the, of the world, of the individual person, of the couple, of the family, of the world, is, is, is marriage. Everything passes by way of marriage mm. because Christ established it that way. Uh, it is the divine reality lived out in the flesh of a man and a woman. And backing up even to the very beginning of 521, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. What does that mean to be subject? I, don't you think, Elizabeth, like that's the, that's the part that people are most, you know, troubled by this oh, idea. Totally. Because it sounds like we're subject. talking about repressive femininity, right? And I think people will um, look at the world and see different ways that women have been treated as less than men. And um, in some cases, that's true, right? That the women's dignity Absolutely. would not have held the way it needed to be held. And, and many women have gone and fought for that, you know, the, our dignity to be upheld, right? But then they come yeah. to this and see that Jesus is saying the same thing, or Paul, on behalf of God, right, is saying the same thing. Right. And that, and with all these deep wounds, I think, that people have, women have, um, in their hearts about, you know, their dignity not being upheld feels like it's being realized in the Bible. And so there's, it's so, yeah. it's such a turnoff. It's such a turnoff to God's desire yeah. for marriage. And it makes me want to sob because what you're about to teach us, Jeanette, is uh, the truth. And it's so much more beautiful than we could ever comprehend. So. Yeah. And this is why I, I really want to encourage everyone, like go and read chapters one through four and even the, the beginning of chapter five. And six too. And six. Yeah. There's only Alba. six. It's read absolutely beautiful. <laughs> um, chapter one talks about how we are chosen before the foundation of the world. So before mm. time, 
Mm. We were chosen. Chapter two talks about how because of sin, we were dead in our relationship with God, but he made us alive. I love that. That's the quote. He made us alive Mm. with Christ by grace. Um, And we have access to the father now. Uh, We can, and so that we can grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And I love that image, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And chapter three uh, says that to, to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So uh, we need to be rooted and grounded in love. And if we're rooted and grounded in love, then we can comprehend, he says, the breadth and the length, the height, the depth that surpasses knowledge, this fullness of God. So it, it goes on in chapter four. It says, I don't want you to be children anymore, tossed mm-hmm. back and forth. And really, this is chapter four. He's, he's basically saying, look, what I'm going to tell you in chapter five is for the adults in the room. Mm. You got to grow up to hear this. If this is hard for you, it's time for you to put off the old man. Mm. It's time for you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you can see what I'm saying. I uh, said, put on the new man created after the likeness of God. So it's very simple and it's very demanding. Mm. And chapter five is actually a radical change in the order of relationships known up to that point. Uh, when this was said, they didn't hear it with, word, with ears of, oh my gosh, I can't believe how he's subjecting women. The people of the time, they heard it as, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much dignity he's giving to women. Mm. It was a completely different ear of the time. Um, and he says, he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. This is what he says right before 21. Mm. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. He also says right before 21, he says, look, I don't want any filthiness, no silly talk, no levity that is not fitting, uh, no immorality. I don't want there to be an impure man who's listening to this with a covetous heart. We're not going to be using empty words here. Uh, this is not going to be unfruitful. This is not going to be a work of darkness. Put away all of the foolishness. And he says, do not get drunk with wine. So I don't want any of your addictions here. Mm. But be filled with the Spirit, he said. So are we filled with the Spirit? Are we holding the hands of mercy? Okay, now let's go into 521. And that's when he, wow. that's when he lays on this stuff where he says, be subject to each other out of reverence for Christ. And even just there, we could stop for an hour and a half just on that, just on that little piece. Mm. I know, it's so great. It's so great. We got to do it, Elizabeth. A couple things. To be subject or to, in a lot of cases you hear, to wives be submissive. I actually like that better because you can hear the translation. You do too. Why do you like like it better? Yeah, oh, I may steal your thunder, but what, what I love is sub and mission. When you divide the word out, sub yeah. is under like a submarine, right? It's so it's yeah. saying be wives be under the mission of your husband. And then yeah. it goes on to say what the mission of your husband is. Is that what you were about to say? 
Did I steal your Yeah, question? I'm, I'm going to get there. No, it's a, I love the interplay here. But um, also in the word reverence, be subject mm-hmm. or be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the word reverence, revere, revere when I looked it up, um, it's such a beautiful word. It means to stand in awe. And so we are under the mission of our husband, standing in awe, not just of this man whom we love, but we are in awe of the mystery to which our marriage gives witness, mm. which is the union of Christ and the church. Another thing, and I couldn't, I couldn't um, verify this anywhere, but I speak a little French. And in that word reverence, I hear verite or truth. I hear truth. So to make true again, uh, Mm. our reverence makes true again the reality that Christ came and wed his bride. He Mm. wed the church. Breaking it down just a little bit more, I don't want to go too far into 521 without saying the wife is the symbol of the church, the husband, where Christ is the husband in this analogy. And also the bride is Mary, who is called the new Eve. This is all going to be handy as we go walking down this garden a little bit. And the husband, Christ, is the new Adam. Mm. So the new Eve, Mary, and the new Adam, uh, Christ, in their union, their mystical union, Right, not a physical um, union, of course, but the uh, not a physical, it's a, yes. a mystical the spiritual union, union, spiritual union, that their uh, that their hearts, that their love is undoing the no of Adam and Eve. That's why we called her the new Eve and the new Adam. Mm. They undo their new, their no, which destroyed our relationship with God the Father. Mm-hmm. So this marriage is what rebuilds, um, and even in a better way, they say, oh, happy fault. Like, this is a deeper relationship with the Father than we had in the garden even. because mystery, We don't know how. It's all mystery. But um, now we have our relationship with the Father again because of Christ mm. and the yes. Um, and so this is the mystery right? That Paul is talking about that married couples are able to share in that they do share in that. This is what authentic marriage means, right? To make this phenomenal mystery realized on earth in a a way realized in the sense that people see it and can come to better understand the mystery between Christ and the church, right? The new Adam, the new Eve. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything is about incarnation Christ um, coming in the flesh to save us we have that human and um, divine reality well so too in our own embodiment of marriage we are making in the flesh we are bringing in the flesh the reality of Christ uh, laying down his life for his bride and the bride submitting to the love of Christ and really that's what submission is it is under the mission I want to read this this is from um, the theology of the body 92 and it says we can conclude that the wife's submission to the husband 
means above all the experiencing of love. Mm. This is all the more so because the submission of the church to Christ certainly consists in experiencing his love. So that submission is an experiencing of love and it's a mutual submission. It's a mutual experiencing of love. Beautiful. I did also, if you, if, if I can read this, Pope Francis said something so gorgeous about this. He said, St. Paul does not justify male domination. And this is his quote. Every form of sexual submission must be clearly rejected. The biblical test text is actually concerned with encouraging everyone to overcome a complacent individualism and to be constantly mindful of others, be subject to one another. In marriage, this reciprocal submission takes on a special meaning and is seen as a, as a freely chosen mutual belonging marked by fidelity, respect, and care. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love that Pope Francis just went right into it. He was like, I know what you people are thinking, sexual submission, and I'm going to tell you that is not okay. Right. I love that. He just like right. knew what people were thinking and just straight up said it. <laughs> He's really good at that. He uses the word um, respect in here. Right. Doesn't he? I think so. I think um, so. But anyway, the, the word, yeah, is subject to one another, a mutual reciprocal submission, but in, it is a respecting of each other. And that word respect too is also beautiful because it means to look again. And in marriage, oh my gosh, you just have to do that over and over again to look again and see, see who this person is again and again and again and again. Uh, and really it's a lifelong calling of um, a way to see again this person who is your mission. He, this one individual person is your mission. Uh, and it's a real beautiful reality when the two of you live it together. Gorgeous. It's not easy. I mean, as you know, Elizabeth, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes, it's not it's easy. What we're it's talking a lot, I, I think in order to talk about kind of the practical things that couples need to get through the hard stuff of marriage, right? That the practical tips um, that they can use to, to wrestle with each other in, in kind of a in a, in a holy way to try to live their vows well. Before we get to that, I really firmly believe we need this um, this ideology, right? We need we need to understand from a high mm -hmm. level what God's intention mm -hmm. was, so that then when we're learning yeah. the practical stuff, the day to day nitty gritty, we can keep that end in mind. Again, we're back to the the right wall, right? So that's why I wanted to begin yeah. this conversation, not necessarily with the practical stuff yeah. of how to get through the hard times and how to be. And how to enjoy the good times and how to, you know, I, I didn't want to start with that. I wanted to start with the theology, right? The, the yeah. big, you know, foundational understanding, the broad picture of God's design. So yes, it's not easy, yeah. but I think it's important to know what we're striving for, right? What the goal is, what the ideal Absolutely. is. And, and, the, and the goal is um, to be Christified. I, and that's a word that we don't hear very much today, but it is a word that the fathers of the church were very familiar with. They used it all the time. The goal is to be Christified, to be little Christ. Mm. Um, and how are we going to do it? I mean, they talked about deification, to become God. 
obviously not, you know, we're not out creating universes or anything like that, but. But be perfect. Not a heresy. Father is perfect. Right. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is what Jesus said in the gospels. Right. And so that they weren't kidding. Jesus wasn't kidding. He wasn't like, you know, you can be almost perfect. God's perfect. You can be almost there uh, in your humanity. No, be perfect. Right. Be perfect, Uh, which, which means to be completely surrendered to mm. the father because we, we cannot be perfect. You know, we can really get wrapped up in, in that idea of doing things perfectly. And that's not what's meant there. In fact, to be perfect means to completely open yourself to the Father and surrender everything, including all of your imperfections, all the things that you perceive as imperfections, the Father does not. He says, that is who you are. You know, when you mess up, I love you right there. So the idea of perfection has to be redeemed. Um, Perfection is to attentively gaze at the Father mm. and to see Him at every moment. Um, that's what it means to pray always and and to be Christified is to see the world as Christ sees the world. I think it's also important that it says um, in 521, in chapter 5, it says that man should love his wife as he loves himself. Mm. And how are we doing on that in this society? I mean, you're a counselor. Like, how are people loving themselves right now in, in yeah in people culture? don't love themselves very well um they don't even like themselves no they don't there's so much comparison um especially with social media so much comparison um and so it can be very tempting to not love yourself very well and uh, uh you make a very good point that you know when paul's saying you need to love um love your bride like you love yourself well you've got to start there got to start with loving yourself well Yes. And you learn to love yourself well by opening yourself to how is the father loving me? How is the father present to me? And, and you probably, you might have a lot of work to do in that regards. And, and that's what a prayer life is all about is being open, you know, to, to how the father is loving you. Mm. Then, then when you, when you read 521, it's not so jarring. It's not so jarring because you've experienced it. You have experienced Christ uh, washing your feet. You've experienced in him uh, healing your sickness, your addiction, or whatever. You have experienced his tender love. Because you have that experience lived out in your flesh, you can give it to your spouse, to your future self, and to your children. But you have to experience it. It can't be just in your mind. You can't think you know it. And after 20 years of marriage, my friends who have divorced, and there have been a few, good Mm. Catholics, I might add, Mm. um, like you'd really think these people have discerned marriage well. It is particularly in them not understanding this passage. It can really come down to that. And in the cases that I know of, it is the man thinking, that's not only the man you know, in, in even these cases that I'm speaking of, but for, to a large degree, it is the man thinking, you owe me a respect, maybe that he hasn't earned. Yes, you yeah. owe me, you owe me a duty because I am your husband. Mm. And, it, and there's this sense of lording it over 
um, these wives. And that's untenable. It is not human. And that's why uh, it's certainly not Christian. And that's why there are annulments given. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of divorce, but there are some times when the marriages are so uh, rooted in selfishness um, that it's hard to work that out. You need, like we said in one of our episodes together, you need a real humble person who's open to counseling. You do. You do. And really what, what you're talking about here with the annulment is they went into marriage, not knowing what they were saying yes to. And so the reality of what happened on their wedding day at the altar was that they did not enter into a sacramental marriage because you can only enter a sacramental marriage. If you give your free, total, faithful, fruitful, yes, with a full consent and a full knowledge of what you're doing. We talk about this. If both of you do that. Both of you have to do it. Otherwise, you don't have the sacramental marriage. And so an annulment looks back at your courtship and at your um, engagement and at everything surrounding that exchange of consent on your wedding day and determines it looked like they were entering into a marriage. On the surface, it looked like it, but the reality is it never existed. So these people are free to marry for the first time right? Because they were not sacramentally married to each other. That's what an annulment is. So it's not the same thing as a divorce. It's not a Catholic divorce. It's not, you know, breaking a bond that was there because it was too hard or there was selfishness or whatever. It's the selfishness existed from the beginning of this false understanding of what it meant to be married. It did not, they were not able to give consent truly. And so they never gave it. So the church is going back in and exploring and realizing, yes, that, that never existed. That marriage bond never existed. Just in case anyone's listening and doesn't understand the difference between an annulment and a divorce, I wanted to kind of clear that up for you. Yeah, very, very important. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to go into like it is, it is the it is the um, bridegroom. It's the man's job, as Christ was, to to sanctify his bride, um, cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word. So we are he's to speak the the word of the Lord to her that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It says that she might be holy and without blemish. It's just such a beautiful image of how Christ loved um, his bride, the church. He, he tenderly cared for her. He, you know, treated her. You can just imagine how Christ would love the church. I think that would be a great exercise. How do you imagine Mm. in prayer that, that Christ loved his church on a day-to-day basis. How is that going to be enfleshed in your marriage, bringing her coffee in bed? Um, you know, all of the beautiful little realities that seem insignificant, but that change the world. I love that. And actually we're about at the end of the time that we had set for this episode. So one of the things I love to do is have a practical tip at the end. Um, and I think that was a mm-hmm. great that you just kind of stumbled into is doing this exercise where you sit down and you wonder and, and ponder really, how did Christ love the church? What did that yeah. look like? And then how does that inform how you want to love your spouse and be loved by your spouse in the future? kind of giving yourself a comparison framework. What do you think about that practical tip? I love that. I love that. I I would add something else. Like what is your mission? If you have Mm -hmm. an actual, um, if you have uh, someone that you're discerning marriage with, what would you say your mission is? Um, How can you submit to each other in that mission? Mm. 
And then one other practical tip um, would be to read uh, a couple books together, maybe, or mm. individually. Um, a Theology of the Body for Beginners or Good News About Sex and Marriage by Christopher West. West. Those are really great um, resources. Perfect. I'll link them in the show notes for any, if any of y'all okay. are interested. Great. Yes, those are so wonderful. And I love what I love about those two books in particular is the theology of the body for beginners breaks open this really rich, beautiful teaching of mm-hmm. John Paul II that then that it, you know, he broke open scripture for us and the church teachings on marriage. So I love that because um JB2 is awesome. His writing is kind of hard to read. Um, when I was in grad school, it was tough. It was tough, tough, tough to like kind of wrap my mind around how to read it. Go for it if you want to read the primary source. Uh, but if you want something that um, is maybe a quicker read, doesn't take quite as much energy to figure out, you know, how to understand quite what he's saying, that the Christopher West book, kind of the TOB for beginners, is great for that. And then the good news about sex and marriage is like a QA style work that yeah. breaks open like the practical teachings of the church, right? The really hard stuff that's actually very hot button um, controversy. Uh, the stuff, stuff you today. didn't even know you had questions about. Also that, yep. Um, thank you so much, Jeanette. We're going to wrap up this episode. Um, I'm so hopeful you'll join us again in the future. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. God bless you too. Bye. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode with Jeanette. I just adore her. She's so wonderful. And I'm so glad that y'all are getting to explore some of these rich theological, uh, tenets of our faith with her. So as a reminder, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with anyone that you think would be blessed by our work and follow us on Instagram at discerning marriage. If you'd like to continue this conversation. So until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The discerning marriage podcast is brought to you by the theology of the body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the theology of the body, visit tobinstitute.org.